Good morning. Usually I'm out sitting among you, so it's kind of fun to have a different perspective. I'm grateful for Dave for the invitation. Please hear the words of the prophet Jeremiah from chapter 18. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, but if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And at another moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, but if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I intended to do to it. Now therefore say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, look, I am a potter, shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you, from your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. But they, that's the people, say, it is no use. We will follow our own plans and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of our evil will. Therefore, says the Lord, Ask among the nations, who has heard of the like of this? The virgin Israel has done a most horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountain waters run dry, the cold flowing streams? But my people have forgotten me. They burn offerings to a delusion. They have stumbled in their ways and the ancient roads and have gone into bypaths, not the highway, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. All who pass by it are horrified and shake their heads. Like the wind from the east, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of their calamity. When I was serving a Lutheran church, we always used to say something like the word of the Lord, and the congregation would say, thanks be to God. And sometimes I wanted to say, well, if you say so. <laughs> <clears throat> Today is week five out of an eight-week sermon on the book of Jeremiah, and to be honest, when Pastor Dave first announced he was going to do this, I thought it was going to be a complete downer. And uh, in some ways, I guess it is, because sometimes Jeremiah has things to say that are a downer. But for the last four weeks, as I've listened to the sermons, I've been reminded again and again how much I love a prophetic book, because there's no pretending. All of the prophets that we have in scripture, those prophets that have books named after them like Jeremiah and those who simply speak the truth about what's happening, prophets don't have time to avoid reality because things are happening and most importantly to them, God is at work in them. Whether things are great or things are terrible or somewhere in between, prophets honestly look at life and circumstances head on without flinching. I admire their courage to tell God's people and their leaders what God has to say. Most prophets don't seek the job out because their messages often aren't well received. 
When a prophet speaks, it might not sound like good news, but in God's economy it is because prophets speak word of hope. They're words of hope because the solution to whatever is happening is found in trusting and following God, whose track record is pretty impressive. When I started preparing for this sermon, I got out my copy of the message by Eugene Peterson and read the introduction to the book of Jeremiah, and I'd like to share some of what he has to say because it has some helpful reminders in it. He writes, Jeremiah's life and Jeremiah's book are of a single piece. He wrote what he lived, and he lived what he wrote. There's no distance between Jeremiah's life and his book. This is important to know, Peterson says, because Jeremiah is the prophet of choice for many people when we find ourselves having to live through difficult times and we want some trustworthy help in knowing what to think, how to pray, and how to carry on. What happens when everything you believe in and live by is smashed to bits by circumstances? When it happens, does catastrophe work to reform our lives to conform to who God actually is? and not the way we imagined or wished God to be? Does it lead to an abandonment of God? Or worse, does it trigger a stubborn grasping to the old collapsed system of beliefs as we hold on for dear life to an illusion? Peterson reminds us that Jeremiah knows struggle, desolation, and confusion because he is right smack in the middle of the biggest problem ever faced by God's people, the exile. They've always known they were God's people because they were in the land, worshiping and knowing God in certain ways. That was their creation story. That's what sustained them. And that's the story they taught their children. Then everything went sideways big time. They were torn away from the land, which meant their way of thinking about God, their way of knowing God was torn away as well. The solution to that problem for Jeremiah is to return to God. It's to let God add to their story, because things are different now. Whether the people want to hear it or not, that's the way through. And over and over again, Jeremiah speaks what God tells him to say based on something he observes in everyday life. What he sees is a jumping off point or a metaphor for him to use in his teaching. Which brings us to this morning's passage. God tells Jeremiah to go to the potter's house. And we might think of today as a potter's studio, as a place to go maybe because we want to take a class or we might want to pursue a new hobby or even admire the artistry of people who create beautiful bowls or plates or vases. But back in Jeremiah's day, every village had at least one potter because if you're going to make a container or vessel, it was usually done out of clay. Artists created objects that were not just beautiful, but functioned. Potters created everyday dishes and cups, as well as beautiful works of art. So for Jeremiah, the potter's house and how a potter worked were very familiar. And for me, the image of Jeremiah watching a potter takes me back to my childhood because I literally grew up in a potter's house. My mother did this professionally for a long time. She sold her pieces at art fairs and taught classes, and her studio was actually in our house, in our basement, right underneath my bedroom. So I could hear her work through the heat vents. Many times I fell asleep hearing the spinning whir of the wheel as she threw pots. I heard the water sloshing in the bucket as she rinsed off her hand or her tools, and I heard language not suitable for Sunday morning. 
<laughs> when a tool was just out of reach or the clay wasn't responding like she wanted it to or the pot collapsed. Because you can do everything right and still the creation can go sideways. This is what happened to the potter Jeremiah was watching. It's quite a process and fashioning the pot is only part of it. Because after you make the pot, you have to fire them in sort of a furnace that's called a kiln. That hardens the clay. Now we had a huge kiln. It was probably six feet in diameter in our laundry room and I thought this was normal. <laughs> the kiln had three different levels and it had rings that had dials on them so you could turn up the heat at specific times in the firing process. And there were also ceramic cones that went into holes that you could remove to let a little heat out or you could look and see how everything was going in there. Because you didn't want to open the top of the kiln because if you did it would ruin the firing. Often when I came home from school, there was a list of instructions that my mother left me about when to turn each ring up or down and which cone to remove and when. Again, I thought this was normal. <laughs> but that wasn't all. Outside on our back patio, my mom also had a Raku kiln, which uses fire in a different way. You stuff it with newspaper or other combustible material, and then you put the pot inside, and then you light things on fire. Then you close the top, which deprives the fire of oxygen. And ideally, what comes out of that whole process is an incredible black clay body with iridescent glaze. When Mount St. Helens erupted, we actually collected its ash off of our patio into baby food jars, and my mom added it to clay and glazes, and things turned out really neat. The creative and functional possibilities of a pottery studio are unlimited, and it all comes from everyday earthy materials. Having this background really helps me understand some of the nuances the metaphor preaches on. The potter working on clay is like God working on the people. This isn't the first time in the Bible God is described as a potter. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God has created heaven and earth and the streams are coming up from the ground and water the ground, and then God creates man out of dirt or clay. God's very creation activity is rooted in clay. The prophet Isaiah, writing in the 8th century BCE, warns the people that in the coming days, many situations will be reversed, like the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Will what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Isaiah poses the question, can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? The answer is obviously no, because the earthly creator God uses clay and water to create human beings and entire worlds. This people cannot say to God the potter, you know nothing when you created us. Instead, they have to trust the creator. There's a lot of work involved for a potter in creation. They have to obtain clay, either from digging it out of the earth or, in my mom's case, going to the store. Then you have to cut it to the right amount and knead it back and forth, almost like you're kneading bread because you want all the air bubbles to come out of the clay so the pot doesn't shatter in the kiln. And this is incredibly physically strenuous work. And then you have to add just the right amount of water so the clay doesn't dry out or get oversaturated. Using and balancing all these elements demands wisdom and a lot of skill. And then the other thing you have to think about before you can even get started is what you want to use the item for. If you want to make something sturdy like dishes, you'd probably use a clay body they call earthenware because it's much more durable and you can handle it 
in a rougher way. But if you're using clay to make something more delicate and elegant like a vase, you're probably choosing porcelain, but you have to keep in mind that you have to use a much gentler hand. All clay have different attributes. Depending on the environment, depending on the weather, more water or less water might be needed, more spin on the wheel or less spin on the wheel. It's a science and an art, and the potter can do everything right and have decades of experience, and things can still go sideways. You can say it with me. Things can still go sideways. sideways. <laughs> Which is what Jeremiah sees, and he's probably seen before when he goes down to the potter's house. The vessel the potter's working on turns out badly. So the potter decides to start over using the same clay. And Jeremiah uses this as the metaphor to describe God's relationship with the people. Jeremiah would know scripture's images of God as the potter because they are the origin stories of his faith. When he follows God's prompting to go down to the potter's house and he pays attention to what's happening, he uses this everyday experience to preach the word of the Lord to the people who are like the pot where everything has turned out badly. The problem of God's people is living in exile, and the solution is bringing the people back to God in new ways, and that's what Jeremiah is trying to do. Jeremiah gives the people a concrete reminder of God's skill in creation, a reminder that God is the one in charge, that God is the one who will create and lead and refashion to the people, and the people respond to the tune of, why should we follow you, and what's the point, and we should just try to keep going the way we have been the best we can, doom or no doom. And that doesn't work so well. The Israelites found their identity and faith in the reality that they're with God when they're in the land, and that's the story that's created them as people. It's the story they've told themselves and their children, but in exile, that story no longer works. That's just their reality now, because you can do everything right and things still go sideways. Jeremiah is saying that this very thing is an invitation into a new story to becoming a new people, to being with God in a new way. Let God be your potter. Say it with me. Let God be your potter. Fighting like hell to maintain the status quo, especially when things are all disrupted, is not the way of the Lord. It's obviously a very common human instinct. But what Jeremiah calls the people to do is return to God. God and he remind the people through the metaphor of the potter that the people were created by a loving God who knows how to work with all kinds of clay. A God uniquely skilled to innovate when things go sideways. I'm imagining that many of us can think of times when we felt like everything has gone wrong, when nothing's predictable anymore, and we don't know which way to turn. Sometimes it feels like we're a lump of clay that's being pushed and pulled and turned and twisted without warning. We might feel like we're clay that's been put on the potter's wheel without warning and especially without our own choosing. Living a life of faith and trusting in God means finding the courage to be brave when we are on the potter's wheel. We can trust and pray that God will mold us and shape us through whatever life brings. And I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. I've spent the last five years being refashioned physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I left ordained ministry for a time due to being in abusive workplaces where there was no help for me. I'm integrating a new chronic health condition 
that's required major surgeries and takes rigorous daily effort to learn about and heal through. And I've literally have to move differently in the world. And at times I've felt like my life is over. Sometimes it's really the pits to be on the wheel. Can I say it sucks? Can I say that, Dave? Okay, I just did. We've had worse. We've had worse. <laughs> At the same time, though, for moments or even for seasons, the wheel can be a means of grace because the story isn't over. The wheel can be a means of grace because the size of the wheel is limitless. We don't have to be alone up there. We're surrounded by the cloud of witnesses, the Bible, and our churches. Our very congregation is full of stories of people who have done this, who have allowed God to remold and recreate and refashion them, and they've come out on the other side. They embody the good news of the story of the people of God as it's unfolding. They tell us how they made it through, regardless of what the outcome looks like from the outside. They give us courage that we can too. Coming out of the pandemic, facing the realities of the history and current state of oppression in our world, hearing the needs that are shared among us during prayer time can all feel like a bit of a nightmare sometimes. So up on the wheel we go. The changes God shapes in us may not be what we expect or even want, but Jeremiah's mission and ministry reminds us that looking into the heart of the gospel and being willing to be shaped by a loving creator by a loving God, the potter is the best response to confusion and uncertainty. And sometimes God, the potter, graciously decides the clay has had enough and continuing to try to work with it today will not bear fruit. So the potter makes sure the clay has enough moisture and puts it into a sack to rest and tries again another day. And that metaphor also holds for God's people. There's a time for that kind of potter's care too, for a restful, more dormant form of reshaping. There's a living dynamic relationship between potter and clay, between God and people. If God is the creator, God has the skill, strength, and perspective to mold and form the clay according to its attributes and how it can best be used. God knows what we're made of and what we're best suited for. For each of us, discipleship may look and feel different depending upon what we're made of and what stage of life we're in. God has created us and searched us and knows our strengths and weaknesses and loves us with the passion of a careful creator and forms us and shapes us as the body of Christ. Toward the end of his introduction to the book of Jeremiah, Eugene Peterson wrote 20 years ago, but I think it's also very timely today, Anyone who lives in destructive times looks for companions who have been through them earlier, wanting to know how they went through it, how they made it, what it was like, and looking for a companion who has lived through catastrophic disruption and survived with grace, people more often than not come upon Jeremiah and receive him as a true, honest, and God-revealing companion for the worst of times. We know from Jeremiah that it's a loving creator potter God who works at us, shapes us using hands and water and tools and a wheel. And while it may be difficult at times, it also yields blessing and greater closeness to God. If God the potter works on us and works with us, we can be reshaped into something useful and beautiful. And if we collapse or go sideways, God the potter knows how to refasten, reshape and rebuild us and rest us. And will do so 
over and over without losing patience or loving determination. My prayer is we can hear this as a word of challenge and comfort and hope this day as we walk with our companions through these times of uncertainty and change. Amen.